You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for biohacking women over 50. I'm your host, Zora Benamu, a digital nomad, certified sports nutrition and breathing coach, and master student of gerontology at the University of Southern California. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan, the cookbook Eating for Longevity, and a new upcoming program, Energy Reboot for Women 50+. Plus. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and I would totally appreciate it if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcast to help others find us too. This is a small but very critical gesture that makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for older women and to help us grow stronger and really get our voice out there and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. Hello, age disruptors. Today, I'm recording this podcast with a live studio audience. All of you attending this recording now are members of the Hack My Age VIP program. And part of being in this exclusive club is the ability to dial in and watch the interviews as they are recorded. And you can ask your own questions. If you want to be a part of this amazing community, go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash hack my age and sign up not only for these cool interviews, but so much more. Before we start, I am so excited to announce that I have been invited to speak at the Biohacking Congress in Boston on June 11th. 2022. And I'm going to be speaking about a topic that rarely gets attention in the biohacking community, and that's biohacking for women who are over 50, which looks at the specific health needs and the solutions for older women. And I'll be giving hacks to this audience that is often overlooked, but this is also valuable insight to the younger biohackers about what they could expect for their future selves. So join me on June 11th and get your tickets at biohackingcongress.com and use the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, for 20% off both the live and virtual congresses. I'll also include a link in the show notes for you, so don't worry. And if you can't make it in June, there will be many other amazing speakers at the biohacking congresses in Las Vegas in March and Miami in October. And you can still use that discount code Zora for those events too. So this podcast is going to clear a lot of confusion for us. Uh, If you've been on the biohacking trail for a while, you probably have heard of kits that test your telomeres, your DNA, your glycans and other biomarkers that give you a clue on how fast or slow you're aging, or if your keto diet or fasting routine is working for you on a cellular level. And there are tons of kits out there. So it's really confusing which one do we use and how do we assess? What are all the differences? Well, Nina Lauk, also known as Nicolina Lauk, is here to explain it all and help guide us to make a calculated decision. And Nina is a successful entrepreneur and co-founder of several startups, including the British Croatian one called Glycanage with her father, Dr. Gordon Lauk, who is renowned in the world of glycans and molecular biology. And together they created a biological age test kit we can all use to see where our health is from the inside and not just a number that we see in our driver's license. And this cool little kit measures something called glycans. And these are sugar molecules that can respond 
respond to lifestyle changes and tell us the inflammatory state of our immune system. And Nina's already created one patent in the woman's health diagnostic space and is leading Glycanage in its development for from a biomarker used in big research studies to bringing it right into our hands as a consumer product. And it's a real pleasure to have Nina here break down the science for us all today. So without further ado, let's meet Nina. Welcome. Hi, Zara. Thank you for bringing me on today. Oh, I'm so excited to hear this conversation because there's so much confusion out there. And I'm, I'm hoping you can clear a little bit of that for us. And, but before we dive in, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you fell into the world of glycans, which you'll explain later, and, and navigating so many other startups. Yes, actually, it's been a very long story. So I, um, it was Gordon who found this in research. It, it wasn't me. We're bringing it to, to the consumer, but he found it about 11 years ago. And 11 years ago, he told me I can measure how fast people are aging uh, biologically. And at that time, I was quite young. I was um, 19. So I didn't really understand the significance. And I didn't uh, yet understand it from the uh, scientific perspective of if we are starting with aging instead of disease, which is an endpoint, we this is actually preventive health and we can de delay all of these conditions that will come later on. So I had the reaction that actually a lot of people have when they think about it, they think it's superficial. The biological age is something that uh, not maybe even health related. They think of it as um, even when you get your score, it can feel like a personal it can be very personal in a good and a bad way. Um, but actually, it's us controlling our health by having something that's very easy to relate to and can guide us in all the different things we're doing to have more years of healthy life. It's interesting yeah, how your perspective as a 19-year-old side, my daughter's 21, and I'm always trying to <laughs> tell her about prevention. And she's like, who cares? And I get it. I get it. So it's really interesting now. So how you, you're now a little bit more concerned or I guess understanding of, of what it is to age slower. So glycan age is this biological kit that we can measure our glycans. Maybe can you explain what are glycans, what are they measuring and how does that determine how old you are from the inside? Actually biological age, which should probably explain biological age in case people don't know, it's different than your chronological age. Your chronological age is what you have on your passport, how many years around the sun you've circulated and your biological age can be very different. It can be older or younger than your chronological age, depending on you know what's going on the inside. So that's just want to clear a little bit of confusion with that. So glycans tell us what is that and why is that an important measurement? So glycans are a structural component of all of our cells, but as a molecule, they're sugars or complex carbohydrates. So when we think about it, we usually think about them in the wrong way, and we think about the sugars we eat, but actually we're also made of sugars. To put it simply, they are complicated. They're post-translation modifications of proteins, which means that they, well, DNA creates the protein. Protein is the workhorse in our body. It's the, the meaty part in a way. And we can influence our DNA with epigenetics, while also we can influence the proteins with glycans post-translation. So it's like epiproteomics. And what's interesting is they combine all of these different influences. So they combine the genetic influence, they combine the epigenetic influence, and they combine your current 
behavior and lifestyle. So in one molecule, you can see all of these different impacts. And we have them everywhere. So we're not looking at all the glycans in the body. We're looking at them on the immune system. But one way people are familiar with it is, for example, blood groups. Your blood groups are defined by glycans in blood cells. And they are in pretty much well, all cells in the body. And on the immune system, we understand what they do. They're a field that hasn't been, it's been quite neglected because they're quite hard to analyze. So this whole looking at them from a volume perspective is probably about 10 years old. So since 10 years, we can do uh, high throughput glycomics, meaning looking at hundreds of thousands of people. And, and that's been pioneered by Gordon's lab. So they looked at more human glycans than the rest of the world, which is now over 150,000 people. Some, some of them were also followed for up to 20, 30 years. And when they started looking at these big groups of people, uh, keep in mind, they were glycobiologists. They were not aging researchers. They were not looking for aging at all. It's just that when they looked at what was the strongest, when, when they tried to do research on, for example, diseases, uh, they couldn't understand what was going on unless they knew the age of the patient because the age, and age was the strongest impact. So if you're looking at a young person with a condition, he can look like a healthy old person. So if you don't know his age, you can't understand what you're looking at. So they realize they're seeing this aging and they model the clock to see if it fits perfectly with chronological age. And it didn't. You can vary from chronological age quite a bit, but it meant something because when they looked at why a person is older or younger by this clock, they can explain up to 70% of this variation by looking at some traditional markers of healthy or unhealthy life, like BMI, waist size, lots of the clinical markers you do with your doctors today, like HbA1c, bad cholesterol, good cholesterol, and so forth. So it meant something. It was a biological age. Now we also know it means something for health outcomes. And a lot of times it's not just that there are biomarkers, uh, they're also affectors who participate in creating this disease in the future. So if we look at them today, we can predict our future health and intervene at the right time point instead of waiting for something to break in the future. Are glycans then different than glycation? Very different things. So glycation is the random binding of sugars and proteins where they literally cook them in a way. So this is bad. You don't want to have this. Glycosylation is a very regulated process where the structures are inher inherited as a complex trait. So there's enzymes involved in where they, how they're created. And part of this is genetic. So we know that for your IgG glycome, the heritability or the genetic influence is 30 to 40%, while everything else is environment, behavior, and all the other influences. And they put all these things together. So when we look at it as aging, what we see is that the glycans are activating or suppressing inflammation. And that with time, we develop this low-grade chronic inflammation, which is also termed inflammation. So that's the most simple way to understand. But they both sound like they're causing inflammation, like both the glycans and the glycation or gly glycolization. I'm not sure which, what you called it um, versus glycation. They're both challenging the immune system. They're both, you know, seem to be causing this inflammation. It's just that it's the glycans, if I understand correctly, they, they do play a strong role in and I guess regulating things is, is there, is, are they bad? I mean, is there, a, do we need some glycans and not others or something like that? 
So glycolization, IgG glycolization. Glycolization. So the difference is one is impacted by diet, so you can directly control it by diet. The other is impacted by genes, by environment, and pretty much everything in your lifestyle. So it's many different things you can influence it by. Uh, yes, and it's a, they're regulators. So they decide, and they're the, so we look at them on antibodies. And now everybody knows about antibodies mm-hmm. because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So we don't need to, <laughs> it's your adaptive immune system. And it's the slow part of the immune system where you develop it through life as well. And it's the main, our immune system keeps us alive. But also as we're getting older, it does participate in this inflammatory processes that then lead to a lot of the chronic conditions. And that's from cardiovascular to metabolic to autoimmune, even neurological and and bone related. What keeps us alive as we're young, in a way, damages us as we we get older because it gets dysregulated. Very big difference from, uh, I actually missed your other questions. Are glycans all a bad thing? I know you said you said that they're a regulator. So, you know, is it really bad to have too much glycolization? And that's the goal is to reduce that and or reduce the number of glycans. You know, it's, it's all so new for me, you know, because you're measuring glycans, right? That's and you're measuring them specifically for immune system because you said they're all over the place. So right now we yeah. can't measure because everything, but you know, one of the most important factors is our immune system. So that makes perfect sense. So, you know, the what the question is, yeah, are all glycans bad? Like if we want to do, do we want to just eliminate all of them as much as we can? No. So they're good and bad. And you like you don't want to eliminate a cohort of them at all because you need the infl- inflammation when you're fighting against a pathogen. And you also need these good ones, the anti-inflammatory ones to suppress this inflammation after you're done killing the enemy. Uh, what happens with age is their composition. So when you're young, you have more of the good ones. So you have the ones with, which quickly suppress inflammation, but you can also activate it quite quickly. And then as we age, we accumulate more of the, the composition changes and you have more of the bad ones as a, as a group and you have less of the uh, good ones, which means that you're not well prepared for uh, both inside and outside threats because you would overreact something to the wrong thing, uh, even food, and you wouldn't suppress this inflammation fast enough and then you have this ever-present, low-grade, chronic, systemic inflammation. It sounds a little bit like microbes, you know, like you, they're good, yeah. good microbes and not so good microbes, where you want that balance, right, of, of them. So that sounds very interesting. Then if these are, you know, have very much to do with inflammation, inflammatory system, and you're kind of measuring, it sounds like you're measuring kind of the inflammatory state of the body. Is that correct? Yeah, low-grade chronic inflammation or your rate of inflammation. So then what happens if somebody takes this test while they're having COVID or they're sick or they have some injury or inflammation going on in the body? So if it's with COVID, if it's severe COVID, then you would see an impact. If it's mild, you wouldn't see an impact. And the difference is because if you're looking at acute inflammation, something can change on a daily basis. But because we are always looking at chronic inflammation, you're looking at the, the half-life is just about three weeks. So for you to see a change at all, it's about six weeks. And if you're, for example, you want to remeasure, we say not faster than uh, 12 weeks. But then also in COVID, we do see when you're predicting the, uh, the worst outcome, they can change within a week. You can gain decades within a week. It's quite moldable. But in general, you wouldn't see a mild cold. You wouldn't see a mild 
uh, infection that's been handled straight away, you would see if it's a chronic persistent infection. Oh, okay. So somebody shouldn't hold off if they have a little cold or a small injury, they can go ahead, take this test and it won't reflect their biological age or glycan age. They'll still see whatever it is that they're at. Okay. Correct. It won't influence Unless it was a very severe COVID or an injury that would stay for some time. Mm, Okay. That's really good. So you are measuring that long, low grade chronic inflammation, not so much that acute inflammation It won't disrupt. Like, you know, you, if you take a a CRP test, you know, they don't want you to do that while you're have a cold or something. Okay. That's really cool. So tell us then you're measuring glycans and glycans, you know, we can figure out a biological age through that, but there's also biomarkers like telomeres and methylation. And there's so much out there, like how to measure biological age, what are the differences between all of them? Is there one that's more accurate than others? Well, depends on what you're trying to do. If you're looking at telomeres, they're very good for aging of a single cell, but we have trillions of cells. And if you collect the cohort of them, they may have very different uh, ages and they're generally not considered a good aging biomarker as a clock. They have lots of relevance in aging, but not as a, because of the variability. So if you remeasure somebody, you can get a very variable result based on how the sample was collected, which may have no meaning to the underlying drivers behind it. If you're looking at chronological age, DNA methylation can be very accurate. And you can find lots of companies that claim they have a very accurate test because they're very good at measuring chronological age. But there's been a number of studies where showing now that if you have a very accurate test of chronological age, you're missing the outcomes or the relevance to your long-term health. It's more functional if you, in forensics, if you want to know uh, the actual age of a person than if you want to know their biological age. For glycans, we know the mechanism behind the clock. So you're more looking at systemic aging of an organism. So you're not looking at a single cell. You're not looking at something which is fixed, your chronological age. It's something that can vary a bit and has lots of meaning for outcomes. So there was a very nice uh, paper that was done independently of us, but included uh, glycans in Edinburgh University that looked at 11 different ways of how you can measure aging at the moment. And that was through two DNA methylation clocks, through a proteomic clock, through a metabolomic uh, clock, through taking all the clinical biomarkers you do at your doctors and then modeling an algorithm for an aging clock on top of that. And then seeing how relevant all of these are for outcomes, which was for them was hospitalization because of any cause within a 10-year time frame. And the acceleration, well, what they found is that glycans and epigenetics track general age. So they're not risk-specific. Metabolomics, proteomics, clinical biomarkers, they were all specific to certain risks. They were not general aging. And then if you look at the acceleration, you see how this, so you're clock is going faster than it should be, and how this connects to outcomes, the acceleration of your glycan age was most predictive of hospitalization from the broadest range of causes. Also, the metabolomics was very predictive, but it was risk-specific. So that's how if you look at them as a combination, what they would mean. So then somebody who's probably choosing to measure their glycans or glycan, glycan age, I think probably the best thing would be don't mix apples and oranges, just stick with the glycan age, make a change, check again, because, you know, as biohackers, we're always wanting to try 
true diagnostics and we want to try the methylation. We want to try the telomere. We want to measure everything. <laughs> and, and we can get very different results from different companies and different things. So it can be really confusing. And then a lot of money. We're trying to figure out which one is either the most accurate. And even if it's not, I mean, we think about all the gadgets that we wear and the aura rings and the bio straps and, and they also have very different results. So you can get very confused. So I think it's kind of like, choose your weapon and then just look at the trend, whether they're accurate or not. It'll probably improve at some point too, if it's not perfectly accurate. I imagine, you know, taking one glycanage test reminds me and correct me if I'm wrong, like, like a blood test, you put your blood on a little piece of paper and you send it into the lab and four weeks later we have results. Now, just like a, a blood test, you know, it's a, it's a snapshot in time. Whereas say a blood glucose monitor, for example, not that I'm not saying that this is perfectly accurate, but like you can see moment by moment, I would love to have my glycanage look, see how I'm trending moment to moment. Is that incorrect in thinking, well, this is just a snapshot in time or, or is it really reflecting, like you said, your, your inflammation or inflammation, chronic inflammation of the last 10 years, say? It's really reflecting what's happening in the moment as a trend. So it's not this week or next week, it's a trend. You can influence it quite quickly, but if you are not changing anything significant in your lifestyle and you're just aging, we see people age an average of a year per year. Uh, also, if you're remeasuring your glycans and your glycanage, we have an error margin which is less than a year. So whenever you see a change in your glycanage, it's a real biological change. It's not an error margin. It's not that there was a mistake in the measurement. It's you actually did something that had an impact on the biology. So there, it's hugely accurate. If you're saying, what is the most accurate biological age I can get from measuring everything I can measure, there's no consensus on that at the moment. Nobody said this is the gold standard to measure aging. This is where uh, the field is going, but we don't have that now. And they're all modeled numbers and they're different parts of uh, biology as well. So what could be interesting in the future is the difference between these clocks. Meaning if you have uh, one is that has a good trend, but the other one has acceleration, can you impact this other one in some different way? So the difference between them, if you're just looking personally for what's my, um, let me do all the clocks and then my favorite number, I'll say this is the best one. <laughs> this is the wrong approach. This is a superficial approach where you're looking just for validation. What will be interesting is potentially combining this with metabolomics because the glycans have this long half-life. So you're not going to see much of a change in a couple of months un unless you have a significant impact while the metabolomics can change daily. So maybe some of the metabolomics clocks, when they get to a stage, you can have it like a glucose monitor, which is a little bit far, you'll be able to impact that on a daily basis and have feedback on a daily basis. Oh, I can't wait for that. This episode is sponsored by Primadine, a supplement that if I had to choose only one, it would pretty much be this one. It's because primidine is spermidine, and this has been shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. And it's basically a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. When we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and a lot of waste, and this isn't really great for us. So we need to clean it up. 
So if you want some research, go to primadine.com and you can see all of it supporting cognitive health and heart health, hormone balancing, and long and strong hair, nails, and eyelashes by using spermidine. So another very important reason why I love primadine in particular so much is that I've never had received ever as much feedback about a product as I have with primadine. Literally several times a week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And most of the time it's about improved sleep. So I can honestly say that I can 100% be convinced now that Primadine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on primadine.com. And that's P-R-I-M-E-A-D-I-N-E.com. Now enjoy the show. So, okay, because many of the listeners here are women over 50 or around that age, or I want to talk a little bit about menopause and some of the research that you've done over the last 15 years following women and their glycans during that transition into menopause. And you shared an interesting study and I would love for you to share what, what is the connection between glycans and, and menopause that you're finding? Well, we always saw that men and women age differently particularly by the immune system. So if you look at them as groups, you would see that men have a very linear trend of aging. They would just go up in a straight line. Well, women had a curve in a way they were protected against chronic inflammation before in reproductive age. And then they had a shift that happened around menopause, but we didn't really know. We didn't have any menopause data. So we assumed there was menopause because we saw the changes were most significant between 45 and 55. Uh, What led to this study that you mentioned, this was published only last month, but what led to it, uh, we became commercial about two years ago, and we kept getting clients who were women in this age range who would have acceleration in their glycan age, or it would start to accelerate, and they would be living a very healthy life. So it would be very hard for us to find anything else that was contributing it. We would ask them the question, are you in menopause? And they will come back and say, no, I have a perfectly regular cycle. I'm not in menopause. <laughs> and then we realized that first, menopause isn't diagnosed at the moment. It's diagnosed retrospectively. You literally wait for the end point. You wait for a year that a woman has a cycle plus a day. And then you say, okay, officially she is in menopause now. But actually the symptoms and the decline in hormones can start a decade before that point and she may be in perimenopause. So we started working with this clinician. Uh, Well, she explained, because we were all young researchers, we have a very nice mix. We have 50 scientists in the lab, and over 50% of them are women, but all of them are young women. So I think that (laughs) we didn't really think about it in the right way. And actually, not even I knew what perimenopause was. Nobody actually, my mother didn't openly talk about it. And it's not really diagnosed as a condition, it's usually misdiagnosed because you don't have any reliable biomarker to pinpoint it. You're usually just diagnosed, and the symptoms can be a list of up to 40 different um, symptoms. You're usually just misdiagnosed by the symptoms. So you would have low mood, you're diagnosed with depression, you would have palpitations, you're referred to cardiologists, you have joint pains, you're misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia or something related, and nobody would tell you that this could be related to your hormones. 
And if you look at hormones directly, they're just a snapshot in time. So you may have high hormones one day, you may have low hormones the other day, and nobody, none of it can tell you a conclusive answer of this if your overall hormones are declining. So because the glycans have this long half-life, we really see when this decline starts and it shows you an overall decline of the last couple of months. So if you're comparing it to, for example, diabetes diagnosis had this problem because when we looked at glucose and we would do fasting glucose, it was never really accurate enough for a diagnosis. So they developed the HbA1c where you're looking at glucose, which is actually glycation over the last couple of months, and that's far more reliable to diagnose diabetes. So now we're working hard to uh, develop this biomarker further so we can at one point, one day, have a standalone diagnostic, which is reliable for perimenopause, and you can first know what's going on correctly, and then get access to the right type of support instead of going on antidepressants and a lot of the mismedication that happens at the time then that would mean somebody who's feeling perimenopausal may not even know what that is. I think most women, I'm so surprised, including myself, I, I, I must be, per, I'm, a, I'm perimenopausal, I'm 51, right? So I still have a period, but I can, I understand that women from the ages of 40, I mean, even early 40s can have these signs and symptoms of perimenopause and have no clue because you're so far away from menopause, you'd never think of it. And that's when, like you said, the doctor misdiagnoses it, gives you some antidepressants and tries to move you on your way. And yet you're still not feeling great. So in your saying with, if we can measure this, like this is what I think I found was called meno age, right? This is what you're planning on, on coming up with is knowing where you are in that menopausal transition. And so would that mean that someone should test their glycan age or meno age, I'm not sure what you're going to come up with at 40, if when they start feeling not so great, uh, it's, it's a possibility. And then maybe they do have fibromyalgia. Maybe they do have, you know, depression. Maybe there is something there. I don't know, but it would be certainly behoove a doctor to say, well, let's, before we put you on some antidepressants, maybe let's see where your, your hormones are at and test it through a glycan age kit. The only confusing thing is, is if you're 41 or 42 and you're not feeling great and you put, you're put on this, it's again, how will it track the trend in the hormonal changes is probably the question. And would that person then have to take several tests over several years to see the trend or can it just with one test show the trend? Well, that's something we're developing. So that's, menoage is not yet a product, it's in development. But what we see with glycan age is that your glycan age would start to, so we see that this rate of aging or inflammation is more than double in the perimenopause transition. So if you're measuring yourself and you're not going on therapy, it is two time points. So once and then a couple months later, you would have a much faster accelerating trend than you would have at any other stage of life. And then the other question is, no matter where you are at the, at the starting time point, you can be younger, older, whoever the start point is, if you're going on therapy, are you responding to therapy? And if you're responding to therapy, then yes, this was also the correct diagnosis or the treatment line for you. Now, that's something we can't claim with glycan age. It's something we will develop for meadow age, but we can already see glycan age change in this direction. So if you're measuring your glycan age, you can catch this acceleration. And if you're going on treatment, you can catch this uh, declining like age as well. So I was so impressed. This was several months ago. You had posted 
some results. And then I would like you to tell me how many, you know, people you were talking about here where you showed a trend, you showed a, a graph and it was a woman in her forties and then 50. Uh, so it was kind of pre-menopause and then menopause when she was pre-menopause, I guess in her forties, her, uh, that's her chronological age, her biological age or glycan age was significantly lower than her chronological age. And you're like, woohoo, that's great. And this is where um, you, you allude to, well, men kind of don't have that cool trend as much as women in your studies. But then when the woman had menopause and she was in her fifties, she had a glycan age that just was like a hockey stick. It was, it just the slope that was so steep increased to, I don't know if it was sixties or seventies, 20 years older than she normally was. And through the menopause. And I just was shocked. And then you showed another graph of a, I don't know if it was the same cohort or same woman or what it was, but when she went on um, hormone replacement therapy, her glycan age went right back down. And I don't know if it remember if it was to her chronological age or younger, but that blew my mind. Can, can you clear up some of that? You know, if I did, I get that right. Yeah. I think these were two different women. So these were case studies, but we have proper controlled studies on the topic as well. So the first one was actually uh, about two years ago now. It was a study in the States where they manipulated hormones, both in men and women. So they went into like a chemical menopause and then they would uh, recover a couple months uh, later. And we saw that on average, women aged about nine years in this uh, induced transition period. So it'd be like a hysterectomy, you lose hormones overnight and then on average, the group of 36 women aged about nine years. And what was interesting is even in the small group of the 36 women, there was a very big difference. Some women, the women who had the youngest glycan age aged the most in the transition. The ones who had the more average glycan age aged about seven to nine years. So there was already this difference in how we experience. We don't know what biological meaning is. It doesn't mean that Somebody who has an early advantage has some type of disadvantage later. We have no idea what, what it yet means, but there's this already big difference in how we experience uh, menopause in terms of glycans. Then we had all of these case studies. So the one you mentioned, we followed her for a very long time, about seven years or more, from research to commercially. And she had a very rapid shift and she was super healthy, fit looking her best in a way, and then had this rapid change and didn't have any symptoms. Oh, wow. She was asymptomatic on top of it. And then six months later, all the symptoms started. Oh. It was right before her symptoms started, which was interesting because we caught it before she was symptomatic. And the other, I think, case example, which was there, was a woman who was within uh, the Newsome Health Clinic. So she did her glycan age beforehand. Then she had an appointment with Newsome Health, and then we followed her for a few months later, and she had a reversal of, I think it was 24 years of glycan age within a couple of months. And we did see this before as well in this state study with 36 women, the ones which were given the estrogen patches with progesterone as well, they um, didn't see this increase in inflammation. So you can prevent this increase with hormone replacement. Now, because this was... Um, controlled environment. So it wasn't natural menopause. We're looking at it in natural menopause within clinics. And there it's quite different because naturally hormones decline at different pace in different women. And we'll probably have these two categories where maybe for some women, 
they lose hormones gradually over a longer period of time, or maybe for others, they lose it more rapidly over just a couple of years. Um, so that, that's something we want to understand further, but we see generally there is a benefit and the, the hormones which are used now, and we mainly work with the UK, are body dense. So they're the same molecules as the body produces, they're regulated drugs available in the NHS. And there's still a lot of controversy around HRT, and that would be a very long discussion. But there's also been a very nice study in the UK that looked at 300,000 women followed over a number of decades, and they looked at mortality. And the women who were on HRT had a reduction in all-cause mortality from 9 to 14%, depending on the age group, and the ones uh, which didn't have so it, it does reduce all-cause mortality, and it's known to be good for aging, apart from all the uh, known effects on reducing osteoporosis, potentially dementia, cardiovascular conditions, and so forth, and not to mention that it does get rid of all the symptoms. So a lot of the women who had all of these misdiagnoses, once they finally have access to the right therapy, which is usually post-menopause, all of these different symptoms and diagnoses go away because the right therapy tackles the core problem, which is a hormone deficiency. We, we had an organ that produced the fuel that we had receptors for everywhere, heart, brain, lung. And then that's why we have so many symptoms of the perimenopause and menopause, because we have estrogen receptors everywhere. And unless we tackle that deficiency, it's very hard to, for the body to be as healthy as it was before to manage all of these systems. That it, it's like a thyroid uh, like a Hashimoto's or diabetes, these are hormone deficiencies and they're treated as such. I think with menopause, because it's aging and every woman goes through it, we are we, we tend to accept it and just deal with it and are put to said to put live through it rather than try and do something about it. This is definitely something that has to be changed. Um, and I'm, I want to explain a little bit. You mentioned the Newsom Clinic, and that is Louise Newsom, who is in... Uh, also known on Instagram as the menopause doctor. I think her website is balance-menopause.com. And this is a wonderful woman. I would love to interview at some point uh, because she is changing that knowledge and our, our stigma against hormones and hormone replacement therapy. And, and she's showing um, some incredible, incredible results. I listened to a podcast with you and her one day and she, she didn't call it hormone replacement therapy. I don't remember the exact word she was, do you, I don't know if you remember, it was definitely, she says, we're not replacing our hormones. We're kind of just topping them up. Even when we're in menopause, I mean, we still have hormones. Like, <laughs> it's like we may think that they're shot, but there's, we still have hormones. It's just that we're topping them up and, and that's helping so many people. I'm not telling people to go on hormone replacement therapy. I'm telling them to talk to their doctor and, and read up about it and understand more about it. And, and I'm just as curious to know why, how is it that our, our biological age is, is improving with this? How is it that we're having lower uh, rates of all-cause mortality? I mean, this is incredible. So I'm so excited because I did my glycan age and, and I got a 36. I'm not in menopause yet, but it'll be very interesting. So what the idea is to, is to test, keep testing and, and use the glycan age as that. So I did one. So what do you say to somebody like me? Who's what, what's the next step? And when do you test again? 
Because again, when you've done a change and you want to see the impact of this change, and this can be a lifestyle change, so it can be improving your diet, and that's something we didn't talk about at all. But there's many ways we can change it with lifestyle. Uh, and you want to see feedback if that particular change had a benefit for you. Mm. So that's also with any type of drug. Also, it never works for everybody. There is no drug that can match everybody. And it always needs to be optimized to the individual. And the same is true for any diet, exercise regime, or any protocol you do for your health. It has to be optimized to you. Something that works as a general rule may not work for you as an individual. So when would somebody have to take it again? When they make, say they change their diet or they're like clean up their lifestyle. So when do they wait? How long do they wait before they take another test? At least three months. So at least three months since you implemented the change because of this long half-life. If you do it before, you're just going to get the same number. So a lot of, you're, sometimes you're eager to do it again. So you do it a bit too quick. Wait at least three months of a, of a permanent shift. And then see if that had a positive or negative impact. And if it's a very gradual change, so you're just gradually losing weight or gradually changing your diet, wait even longer, wait six months to see what the impact was. There's one thing I want you to share as well that I overheard in another podcast that you made was that you've seen that people and, or women who are over-exercising and fasting inappropriately, their glycan age wasn't so great. First, when they model this clock that we didn't know if we can change it so we saw people age faster or slower but we didn't know if you can intervene so we did a lot of these intervention studies studying with lifestyles to see what you can do to impact it and the first study was a very small study in a nursing home done in 2015 where we followed them over a couple of months with a change of diet and exercise regime and all of them had a small positive uh, reduction in their glycan age then we did a very big study uh, with a, a, a thousand people going to the gym for the first time from 40 to 60 as a cohort, both men and women. And we followed them for a year and we kept seeing them get older. And we were so confused. They kept getting older, but they were put on a very strict diet and a very intense exercise regime over uh, four to five times a week and trained by young PTs as, you know, as they would uh, train themselves and what we we didn't understand what was going on so we started looking at these more smaller control cohorts of exercise and we did one with interval sprints in a group of men and they all got younger within three months so intermittent or um, interval training could be positive because you you exercise intensely then you recover and there was no diet within the study uh, then we did another one where we look at one woman's bodybuilding and there we, uh, we, in the other studies, we looked at other markers as well. But here we looked at gene expression. We looked at all the other immune cells. We had many other data on them. And we saw that as they prepared to compete, and there was a group that was dieting and exercising and just exercising intensely, all of them become pro-inflammatory. All of their, uh, every gene expression changes, everything changes in a negative way. Women usually lose their cycle and they lose bone density. So not just that you're looking at inflammation going up, you're also looking at like a self-induced menopause in young women because your, your cycle stops and your hormones are suppressed and osteopenia because you're losing bone density. So the dose was very important. And also the women who were dieting and exercising at the same time, they didn't recover in the period we looked at them. Well, the ones who are just exercising, they, they recovered within three months. So with exercise, it's really the dose which needs to be optimized for you 
And if you are building new muscle, there's this misconception of calories in, calories out. And that's just coming out to be wrong because if you are building new muscle, you have to feed that muscle. If you're in the same time restricting your calories, then you don't have the fuel to feed the muscle and potentially you're just building scar tissue because stress is positive. And us, um, so that's why this um, concept of hormesis or intermittent stressors, which make us younger, it works because you, you, know, you shock the muscle to build new and younger muscle, but you can't do more damage than you can repair. I'm so glad you mentioned that because what do we all do when we want to lose weight? We overtrain and undereat. <laughs> it's like that's, and we could be causing more inflammation. So it's always the devil is in the dosage when it comes to this. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Hack My Age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. So we've got 10 more minutes. I want to open up the panel to anyone who has questions. I still have questions. We may need a part two, but I know you have to go, but I'd love to ask. Uh, Magdalena always has some awesome questions. Do you have any questions or comments, Magdalena? I'm very happy that we are talking about this test because I have never tried so far. And I'm quite um, interested always in everything. I've done already some tests. I have noticed when I'm following some people who have done like an H test, I got a feeling it's like whoever is doing your test, he or she gets very good uh, uh, biological age <laughs> at the end. And I'm comparing to mine because I did, uh, I did methylation test and I did a telomere test of two different producers. And I was very shocked because my biological age was really bad. It was around 60 years old. That was around, at that time, eight years more than I was chronologically um, old. So I was a little bit jealous because I was thinking, what kind of test is this that everybody has such a great result? Also, what I'm saying, uh, your biological age was 36 or something, right? Okay, I'm in a menopause for some time. Maybe my result would be different, but I, I should definitely do this test to compare because you said before we, we shouldn't compare, right? But everybody compares because what's this difference? Why not to compare? Because biological age is biological age, no matter of uh, the difference of the test, right? So this is something I don't really understand well why your test is maybe showing better result or, or this is just something I think because I, I heard about few results. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, then my second question would be regarding COVID. Also Zora has asked before. Right now I am maybe still um, at the last day of COVID because one week ago I found out uh, I was tested positive. I wanted to do true diagnostic test because I've just bought it. And I was thinking, when should I do it? Because I don't want that my bio biological age would not be the right one because 
I had COVID, you know, and I don't want to get a result which is maybe not accurate for the moment. But if I understood right, it doesn't really have an influence on biological age, right? And the third question, I think that Dr. Conlon is now working with you, right? Dr. Nicola Conlon with Cheeto, you mean? Yeah, we have a study. Well, she has a study and she analyzed the glycans in it as well. So. I noticed once she mentioned in one post that woman who comes to uh, menopause in just six months of being in menopause, she can get older for nine years, biologically nine years older, uh, just in six months. And this was something shocking when I read this post. And I said, no way. (laughs) So I'm now in menopause for six years. So what does it mean for me? Um, So these three questions, let me say, but I think you more or less have already answered. But I would really like to know what is the comparison uh, between all these tests? This is something I would like uh, to understand the most because I don't really get it well. Thank you so much. Thank you for the question. These are all really good questions and lots of to un- lots to untangle. So with the all the people with amazing results that you know we usually post about on Instagram, that the ones which have good results, they want to publicly share them. The ones which don't, they don't want to publicly. So that's why you would see a lot of the positives and you wouldn't see a lot of the other stories until you see a shift. So the moment we see people share results which were initially bad is when they've improved. So they would share this improvement from the before and after. Um, Because we do take it as a personal thing. And that's something that will need to change through time. And also the more you do it, the less you feel personally about it. And you're more inclined. It's it's similar to a scale. Sometimes we don't want to step on the scale because we're afraid that maybe we gain a few uh, pounds. So we step on it when we think it's a good time to step on it. So similar is with the biological age, but it's very powerful to have the before and after. So if you're doing a big change, you want to measure at the beginning and you want to measure after you've implemented the changes. If someone here has um, uh, irritable bowel syndrome or gut issues, inflammation, inflammation, gut, everything, would it be I mean, would it be uh, possible or, or is it in any interest at all for this person to have tested the di- the glycan age before and after a treatment, or maybe she should wait until the end, until she's fixed it? Or, you know, what do you, would you recommend in terms of that? Depending on how, well, it's still useful to see what impact the therapy she's doing, and particularly if she's working with functional medicine. So she's going um, with, with something which is more diet related or supplement related. This is a good objective way to look at how that impacted her or him. And if you do have a pre-existing condition, then yes, you're more likely to have a higher score. It doesn't mean you'll be older than your age, but it will generally be, it'll be hard for you to have this much younger score, uh, but it doesn't mean you can't change it. We have number of autoimmune, um, people with autoimmune conditions who impact their score very positively or, or who are even younger and have done that through lifestyle changes, functional medicine, and different interventions. So it's not that you are stuck with this score, whatever it is, it's just a little bit harder for you to impl- impact in 
and there's a little bit more work than it would be for somebody uh, who doesn't have a pre-existing condition. Uh, and on that note for menopause, so yes, we see that women age an average of, and that's the trial that uh, Nicola was talking about, so there's 36 women in the States, we see that in average that group aged nine years, but it doesn't mean their glycan age went over their chronological age. In some cases, it just caught up with their chronological age. In some cases, it may be a couple of years under. In other cases, it may be a number of years older. And you have this difference where some tolerated better, others had a more significant shift. And the ones who had the early advantage had the biggest increase usually. Um, so that's um, that, that's what it means. And there was another question of how do all of these tests compare? If you're looking at for the most accurate test when you're testing a number of times, so you want to see that when you saw a change, you, this actually is a meaningful change. We have one of the lowest error, error margins where it's less than a year. Uh, and if you're looking at what does this mean for my health in the future, so this change that I've made, this, um, if it's a meaningful biological age, then we are the most meaningful because we understand what is the aging mechanism behind it, which is chronic inflammation. Well, for, for example, methylation, the mechanism of aging is still not known, and it's not yet proven that they respond to some of the things which are known to be healthy. Like, for example, we respond to caloric restriction, we respond to exercise in ways which we already see it correlates with long-term outcomes. So we can, and we know that these glycans are effectors and they participate in some uh, disease development. So I, 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 you had a question before of what happens next. So apart from this age, we look at a cohort of over 50 glycans on your antibodies and some of them are specific to risk, disease risk that we don't re report at the moment. But in the future, you will have reports along with your biological age for certain risks, which are connected to the glycans, which could are connected, but could be also independent from your general aging process. Does that answer your question, Magdalena, or questions? I think she had one for COVID as well. So for COVID, we did quite a few studies with glycans, and we see that in mild COVID, you don't see a significant change. And in severe COVID, which is, it can be severe at home, it can be severe in the hospital, and outcomes, we would see a significant change. So it depends on the severity of COVID, but if you want to be sure, you can wait six weeks, let's say, as a minimum. For demethylation, we don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen any studies in COVID and methylation, so I would best email them and just double check. So I should wait for a month and a half? For glycan age, if you had a severe COVID. If you didn't... No, I don't have severe COVID. Then you can do it straight away, but for the methylation clock, if it's true diagnostic, they're looking at uh, DNA methylation, I don't know. I haven't seen any data for COVID. So you would need to go back to them and see if they have something unpublished or some case studies, uh, which could give you an answer. So there was one last question here that um, we should clarify is how do you do this test? This is a home kit. You get this in the mail. Uh, you ship worldwide. Is that correct? Um, apart from some countries. So not India, China and Russia. Probably uh, everything Russia. else. Yes. Let's not. <laughs> You, you get this at home. I did mine super easy. You just prick your finger, put a couple of drops in the little piece of paper. You send it out in four weeks, you get results. And I, I have a meeting, a consultation with one of your uh, people who is going to explain. It was pretty clear. It's not like some other tests where I'm like, oh my God, I need to like pay a doctor to figure this all out. 
like a Dutch test or something, but this is something was pretty simple. And so I'm excited to hear, um, I have my consultation. I think it's very easy to, to understand and, and know where you're at. So yeah, that's the gist of it. You can do this at home. Is there the price actually, why don't you give us the price? And I don't remember and I don't know if it's different in each country. In, in pounds, it's 289 pounds. And this includes a consultation from our team. And you can pay it in installments. So you can choose to pay 20 something pounds a month instead of paying it upfront. And then if you're doing a package of a before and after, there's about a 15%, 10-15% discount. So it's 492 pounds as a package, and you have multiple consultations within the so we would give you uh, interpretation of the results and things you can potentially do. And also you can validate that in a couple of months and we'll, we'll help you understand what happened in that period of, or why change in either direction. Oh, that's awesome. I really, I, I didn't know about that, that double, I like that double whammy. <laughs> you just measure and then you make a change, measure again. And we've got a discount code Zora, Z-O-R-A for 15% off of that. Um, you can get these on glycanage.com. That's G-L-Y-C-A-N-A-G-E.com. And um, look out for, can I share the menaage.co.uk? We're taking sign up. Oh. We're probably going to start it with a big study of a thousand women. So you, and, and there's a link for that as well. So if you want to sign up for the study, please go ahead. It will also be very simple to do. And we will just monitor women who are both seeing doctors and who are just going through it um, and then see what happens in a year. Oh, excellent. So w- tell us the cutoff date, because if people are listening to this a year later, <laughs> when is the last time to sign up for the, the study? We're yet to start it and announce it. So we had a little pilot that happened last year, and we'll probably open up the official study in September or October. But if you now leave your contact for the email updates, we'll let you know once it's opened up and it'll it'll run for a year after that. So cutoff will probably be a couple months post-September, so just before the new year. 2022, excellent. Okay, if anybody needs to reach out to Nina or Nicolina Lauk, um, she's on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So is Glycanage. I'll have all the links in the show notes. So easy to find her. I want to thank you so much for giving your time. I know you have to run off to a meeting now, but but I think we... Can I yes. ask sure. one last question, please? I have forgotten before. I'm wondering always, why all these tests uh, when you sent your blood sample are asking you certain questions? family issue, health, family issue, uh, then uh, which supplements are you eating, which medicine are you eating, uh, taking, why it's not enough just a, a blood sample. You know, I always have a feeling that all these companies need this certain information just to easier get the result, you know. I would just like to give a, a send them a blood sample and then wait for a real answer because everybody is always asking these questions. And I always have a feeling that they cannot um, give us just the right answer without uh, knowing certain uh, health issues from our side. This is my last question. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a very good question and a very common misconception. So the the problem with the all of the aging biomarkers, but particularly when it comes to this chronic inflammation that we measure, is there's so many different things that can impact it. It can be um, your diet, it can be genetic to a degree, it can be 
your lifestyle. It can be family history. It, it can be a supplement you're taking. So the more you know, the more you can explain why somebody has a certain score. But you don't need to know all of that. So we, as a company, it's not mandatory for you to fill in any of it. It's a choice. And it helps you have the consultation so you can have a more meaningful result from the consultation where you can say, oh, all of these things you're doing are probably driving whatever the result is. Uh, but the only thing that's mandatory if you're doing it commercially as in you want to report. If you're doing research, we don't even need to know your age, gender, or biological sex. But if you're doing it to get a report, then we ask for your age so we can compare. So we can tell you you're this much older or younger. Otherwise, we don't know how you compare. And then we compare you to people, to a cohort of people which are most similar to you. So we have this data set of 150,000 people from different ethnicities and genders. So we compare you to the closest to your uh, age range, to your gender, and to your ethnicity, because sometimes you can be comparing apples and oranges and so And you can do this experiment if you want to put a different uh, gender or different, you, you can see how this is different if you're compared to men, for example, instead of women. Um, but if you want the most relevant result for you, then these are the three things we need for a meaningful PDF report. And then if you want to understand what's actually impacting that, and what you can potentially change, then the more information you give about your lifestyle, about different um, uh, supplements you're taking, if you, if you have any pre-existing conditions or maybe a family history, because a part of it is influenced by genetics, you can have a more meaningful discussion of what you can do. But you don't need to start with that. You can just do the task and then decide later if you want to give more information to have a consultation. Or you can have a consultation with no information about you. It'll just be very challenging for them to make any conclusions and you'll maybe have a little bit of a longer discussion until they ask some questions which may be relevant. I like this. Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. It's almost like when you go and get your, your future read, um, you're like, well, if I just give them my Facebook profile, of course, they're going to predict my future pretty <laughs> accurately. They can predict some things. So I get it. I totally understand. That's a good question, Magdalena, and a great answer, Nina, because I, I appreciate that. It's because we sometimes may think, well, you're going to give us a great age because we told you how healthy we are. Right. And now you're saying, you know, it's the opposite. Well, you or know, if we are smoking or drinking or whatever. And then, you know, automatically uh, they they gave, uh, give you additionally few years because your lifestyle is not healthy. And this is something what I'm really always bothered by these questions, because I am a little bit curious if it's uh, then the result the right one, you know, you can never trust <laughs> completely. Yeah, so on your results are purely analyzed from the biological sample. So any data, and it's also, it's not mandatory in our case. So if you don't want to say if you drink or smoke, you don't need to. And then the only thing is that information will be missing in your consultation. So he may say, oh, everything's perfect. Like on the on picture, you look perfect or you... It, everything seems great, but you're hiding some things that may have an impact. And then if you improve them, that could improve your score. But this is all private to you. You don't need to mention it. And it's up to you on how you personalize you want that consultation to be and also the, the action steps you get afterwards. 
Thank you so much. Uh, great questions, guys. I really, really appreciate this. Thank you, Nicolette, for going over time. And I'm going to let you go now. Uh, if anyone, again, needs to get in touch, all of this stuff is in the show notes. And um, I want everybody to have a good day, good night, good morning, wherever they're at. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.